This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From Variety, celebrating 115 years covering the business of entertainment, this is the Award Circuit Podcast. I know that not everyone agrees with me on this, uh, what I'm about to say, and I know that there are some really interesting women who disagree with me on this, but I think that there is such a thing as women's filmmaking. I think there is such a thing as women's writing. I think it's different than uh, films made by men. That doesn't mean men can't make fascinating movies about women. They certainly can and they have for many years. But I think that when there's space for women to express themselves, when we're actually given a little bit of money and the space to do it, that the things that come out of us are going to be really different and compelling. Maggie Gyllenhaal may have an Oscar nomination for acting, but deep down, she's always felt like a director, and she has no intentions of stopping. I'm Clayton Davis. On this episode of the Variety Award Circuit Podcast, we talk to Maggie Gyllenhaal about her debut film, The Lost Daughter, which she wrote and directed. We also speak to her younger brother, Jake Gyllenhaal, about his producing and acting on his new film, The Guilty, from director Antoine Fuqua. He also reflects on his time with Heath Ledger during the time of his first Oscar nomination for Brokeback Mountain. But first, our awards panel is back to discuss the new films that opened this week, including Denis Villeneuve's Dune and Wes Anderson's The French Dispatch, and what their Oscar chances might be. We're all together again on this week's edition of the Variety Award Circuit Podcast. Stay close. Hey, we're back. It's the four of us reunited and it feels so good. The Variety Award Circuit Roundtable. I'm Michael Schneider. There is Clayton Davis, jet-setting traveler. Clayton, you look tired. You look exhausted from all the traveling. I'm I'm always tired. And I also had my tooth pulled on Monday. So I'm like... Slightly like lisping a little bit, so if I sound weird, that's why. Oh, okay. Well, we'll get into that in a second, but first, let's uh, complete the introductions. Also, jet setting from New York, New York, Jazz Tanke. Jazz. Hello, wife from New York. We're never going to be on. We're never going to be on the same coast ever. (laughs) (laughs) Are you even doing like your sort of New Yorker uh, accent? Was that uh, was that your East Coast? That is my New York accent. With a bag- <laughs> I had a bagel and a coffee from a truck. I felt so New Yorky this morning. And and uh, what what the the coffee with like the is it like the Greek lettering, which I never understood. What is why why is that a New York thing? Like all the 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 coffee cups. 
that have like the Latin Greek writing? I don't know. I'm not a New Yorker, so. Okay. It's the Latin Kings from the Bronx. That's what it is. There you go. That's, that's a complete lie. I don't know what that means. So last right now in the intros, but first in your hearts, <laughs> Janelle Riley. I thought you were just going to skip over me entirely. I thought She's <laughs> crying right now, guys. I wish you could see it. She's crying immediately. Saving the best for last. Oh, not the Janelle best. Janelle Riley. I am extremely sick today, so you I, would are not the best say, I would not say the best for last today. <laughs> Janelle and her pugs, which is, <laughs> of course, uh, the, the new thing to look forward to on Instagram. My pu- oh, uh, they're, they're pipples. They're baby oh, pipples. Yes. Pitbulls, How yes. dare you, sir? How dare I? <laughs> so the, the baby pits. Yeah, they're the sweetest. It's so hard. not. I'm, I turned into Melissa McCarthy and Bridesmaids. It's like I took seven. I want them all <laughs> so bad. They're so sweet. I think they're, they're going to their forever homes this week, for which, is, which is great for pubs. them. Just a little sad for me. Yeah, how many are you uh, looking at? It's actually right now? not me. It's my friend Abby uh, via Wags and Walks, which is a great organization. That's where you know Patrick Stewart fostered his pit bulls. Oh, um, that was Elizabeth Wagmeister. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just uh, just down the street from the Variety LA offices, as a matter as a matter of fact. But she was fostering the the mama dog Ginger, who had four puppies, all boys, and all named after sushi. Um, Condiments, I guess. It's ponzu, mochi, uh, unagi, and sesame. And unagi is my favorite, yeah. Although they also call him Roy Kent because he, he growls a lot. <laughs> I was about to say, they sound delicious. <laughs> so, well, that's great. That's great. So, uh, look at after our, our fur friends. Um, so, Clayton, you're, uh, and, and Jazz, uh, you've been just traveling the, the, the globe looking at uh, and all these different festivals. Give us the latest. Glo- globe, like Golden Globes, right? Uh, which we we, we can't yeah we can't quit the golden globes apparently it's it's never which by the way we predicted i, I don't think people are giving us enough credit that we've been talking <laughs> about this i said forever there's oh, yeah. no way they're not doing the globes this year of course Get, of come course. on we knew from the beginning so no one is shocked that they're gonna force that on us if it's gonna be a cocktail reception or a luncheon or something they're gonna do even just a press release there's no way they were ever gonna sit out 2022 so now we know for sure they ain't going anywhere but do we but do we predict that it's gonna be the same day as the critics choice awards I mean, that's their day. So I figured I if they were going mean, to do I mean, it, it they, would, they would keep that date. Yeah. Well, typically, uh, there is like a funny thing because I think typically they're the first Sunday mm-hmm. of, of, of January. Technically, the first Sunday of January is January 2nd. So they probably, uh, Jan- yeah, January 2nd, they probably should just win because no one's going to go. Like, that, based on what, I, like, what I've been hearing, a lot of people don't want to go, n- nor do they feel it's an appropriate time. For them to come back into the fray, but we'll see. This will get plenty, plenty muddier over the next few days, weeks, months, years. Uh, yeah, so we were at Middleburg, Jazz and I, uh, and just a little bit of a common denominator between all the film festivals that are happening right now. They all love Belfast. Mm-hmm. Won the Audience Award at Middleburg. It won the Audience Award at Mill Valley. Uh, Jazz and I watched it a second time at Middleburg. It plays really, really well the second time. The audience gobbled it up. I think, like, I I really believe, like, this is the far and away number one right now. I mean, listen, there's a lot more road to go. But, you know, there is, there is, it's an easy movie to like. 
Doesn't mean it's the most beloved, but as we have known in this world of preferential balloting, it's not about most loved. It's what least hated. By the way, all those festivals you mentioned, Kenneth Branagh was at all of them. In addition to in three screenings in one night in L.A. Mm-hmm. where he introduced or did Q&As. And the man looked exhausted but happy. Um, and this is the first time I think this has ever happened for me, at least recently. The screening I went to was not only completely full, it was completely full a half hour before it was supposed to start. Ooh. Yeah, I, I thought I was so early because I'm usually the first one there. And I walked in and I was like, oh. <laughs> I will say this at Middleburg, it's one of the few films where that received a standing ovation. As soon as it got that, I knew it was going to win the audience award. Everybody loved it. And people crowded in for the conversation. Even though he did a Q&A after the movie, the following morning there was another Q&A with him, like an in-depth career thing. And that that was packed. I don't know if you went to that clip. I I forget, but I didn't. I was I was dying because I hung out with the Red Rocket crew, and that is dangerous. Do not hang out with those guys from Red Rocket because they will keep you out all night long. But they're super fun. Uh, also, I, that is right, Jazz. It is one of only two films I saw that got a standing ovation. Secretly, you know what the second one was? Jockey. Oh, that's great. Clifton Collins Jr. and which has led me to believe. He's in if enough people watch that movie. If they watch the movie, it is very hard not to movie, vote for him. Yes. He's he's going to happen if they watch it. So, Sony Classics, do your worst. Mm-hmm. Um, Speaking of uh, the Red Rocket Group and Simon Rex, we have uh, our event uh, this coming Sunday, Newport Beach Film Festival, where we're presenting the 10 actors to watch. Simon Rex is actually receiving like a Breakthrough Performance Award from the festival. Ooh. Yeah, so he'll be there. To, it's actually quite a few honorees. They have Harvey Keitel... Variety is presenting the Legend and Groundbreaker Award to Jeffrey Wright. Um, who else? Uh, I, uh, well, I shouldn't announce that one yet because I don't know if it's formalized. <laughs> Jean, Jean, Jean-Claude Van Damme is getting yeah. the kick-ass award. <laughs> uh, Winston Duke is getting the Maverick Award. Regina Hall is getting an award. Um, and then I'll have a panel with uh, some of the 10 actors to watch, which is a really, really good lineup this year. Fun. I'm excited. Yeah. Instead of for Simon in this year, listen, Middleburg crowd was the crowd for me to see how Red Rocket does with conservatives. Yeah. And uh, shocker, it's divisive. There were some walkouts, but there were walkouts at Telluride as well. So the young crowd is going to have to come out for that movie. The older crowd is not going to probably give it its proper shake. Really? Walkouts? Walkouts yeah, walk is out. a thing? Oh, Yeah. When it comes to porn stars, yeah, for sure they walk out. Um, but it, but you know, like movies, uh, just in general, movies with antiheroes are always divisive. Uh, if anyone remembers when Joker came out, everyone was like, "This is going to glorify mass shooters," and a bunch of mass shootings are going to happen across the country, and it, and it did, but not about Joker. It happens because we live in America. We have <laughs> right. no gun control, right? But, um, but you know, a lot of people think this is glorifying, like. Because you're watching in real time a man uh, groom a, a young girl, which is very uncomfortable. And it doesn't, I don't feel it glorifies it, but I could definitely see why people are taken aback by it. But I mean, I, I dig the movie a lot and I think it's, I think it's really strong and I wish people would give it its proper shake. I'm curious to see how that film's going to play at Savannah next week, which Clayton and I are both going to. That's our next travel. Mike, you're coming with me in my suitcase. Uh, 
<laughs> I've been to that once. I've been to Savannah for, for the, I, the festival. I've never been, actually. This is my first time. I'm really excited. Yeah, it's it's a lovely city, and yeah, that that's sort of uh, so some nice theaters. So you're having a good time. Go on a ghost tour. I went on a really fun ghost tour in Savannah because it's one no, of the most I don't haunted do places. In the south. No, no <laughs> real ghosts there. Nope. Oh nope, yes, there nope. are. I know. Yeah, I'm not doing that. I don't even think I want to stay there. I want to see ghosts. Thank you very much, Janelle. Um, I will. Can I just give Clayton props for moderating incredible conversations at Middleburg? Like. We have been there seven of the nine times and we love this festival so much. And now we're up there, moder- both of us are moderating and here's some great conversations. And You did too, Jad. Don't undersell yourself. She interviewed Donald Moat from Dune, which we're going to talk about in a moment. And I uh, uh, moderated with Dakota Johnson from The Lost Daughter. She got a tribute award. Uh, and then I, mo- I moderated the Red Rocket crew, which was day one of hanging out with them, which is, again, dangerous. Stop doing that if you're with them. <laughs> um, but they're the best. Uh, let's talk about Dune. Dune is finally hitting theaters? Streamers? Uh, it's pirated right now? <laughs> like, there's a lot of things happening. So it sounds like, yeah, it's easy to find if you just Google it. So uh, hang out yeah, in the dark web and find it. Le- it leaked. Um Listen, I've known for a while that this movie was... Or we don't know what box office is going to look like, so let's just preface this. I don't know. Well, it's already made quite a lot of money overseas. So. It made quite a lot of money overseas. I I have felt in America it's going to make like $4. And not because like people won't go. Like, because they are like, I don't want to see Dune. Just that people are going to watch on HBO Max, and it's, not a, and it's not a pre... It's not a well-known property. But who knows? I could be proven wrong, because I think... The critics and, and and journalists out there have done a good job in saying to the world, please don't watch this on your phone. Like, please don't. Like, I, I have said to anyone, if I see you sitting next to me on the on the subway with Dune on your phone, I'm going to slap it out of your hand just out of principle. You can watch it on an iPad, that's fine, but it can't be a, a smartphone. But it, it's, it, it's great. I really wish people would, I, I think we're going to get, I believe we're going to get a part two. I really believe we're going to get a part two. I don't think we're going to get six, like I think Denny initially intended, but I think we will get a part two. And it does open up with saying Dune part one. Mm-hmm. So it would be very, very horrible <laughs> for us not to get the continuation. I'm of one of those story. people who believes that a movie holds up on any screen. Um, this is talking to someone who saw 300 on a plane and actually really liked it. But And so I'm not usually that person who says, like, go see it in the theater. But honestly, see this one in the theater if you can. It's It, it will make such a difference. And, and listen, there are only a handful of movies that really up, that applies to. And I honestly, there's two that come to mind immediately. Gravity, I feel like should have never, ever been seen on a phone. And actually Avatar. That's why Avatar did as well as it did at the time, and no one talks about it today, except for the 30 sequels that are allegedly coming, is because it looks so great on the big screen, and then when you got home, you were like, ah, okay, I'm done with this. So the, the big screen really matters a lot of times. I agree. I think I agree with Janelle. I think this film will be beautiful, whether you watch it like on the back of a plane, on your iPhone, your TV screen, but the sound design, the score, the cinematography, all the crafts are so spectacular. And immerse yourself. Immerse yourself in the movie. Like, you, you, it's just not the same at home. Mike Schneider, what are your thoughts on 1984, Dune, 85? <laughs> what are my thoughts on 
classic Dune. Yep. It's been a while. It's been a while, so I, I barely remember it. I only uh, remember Sting. You do not. Yeah, you do not need to see it. Let me tell everyone that you don't need to see the original because yeah, the original is horrible, and um, you don't oh, need yeah, to just, go in. It establishes a good world. I only remember Sting too. I only remember, and, I and, remember it so vividly. Him like rising up in the steam, but like that's other than that. And I don't even think that that character's in the new movie, is it? No, because this is the first half of the first book. Yeah. Only. I, I will say the makeup, talking about Donald Moat, the, the makeup is absolutely incredible, as are the costumes. But um, there will be a part two because I did a Q&A with Denis Wass when I was back in L.A. a lifetime ago. And Hans Zimmer was still composing music. And Denis was like... Hans, we've like locked the picture. You can stop composing now. So he's ready to go. I think it's uh, this year's Mad Max Fury Road. I think it's going to get a ton of tech noms and probably picture and director. Uh, and I think it will win a lot of tech awards. That's that's my feeling. But in the acting categories, I think Rebecca Ferguson might be the best shot. Yeah, if there is a shot, it's Rebecca. She is supporting. It's been confirmed that she will be campaign supporting. Um, but supporting actress is the most competitive of all the four acting races this year. So look, only I, two slots can go to Belfast. <laughs> supporting actress. <laughs> Actually, fun fun fact about I have to, I have to give uh, Joyce uh, Ang at Gold Derby her proper uh, citation here. She called Belfast would be the third film in history to possibly pull the double double. It exists in awards world. Mm -hmm. Two supporting actor noms and two supporting actress noms that it could very easily do. Uh, Jamie Dornan and Kieran Hines. I learned how to say his name. Kieran. It's It's Kieran? What? Kieran Hines. I was very excited when I learned that. And then uh, Katrina Balf and uh, Judy Dench. It's a Caddy Arena Belf. <laughs> Just People upset jazz. People mutilate her name. I know. I it's, know. It's, they overcomplicate it. it, it because it's, just like, it's Katrina. Yeah. <laughs> just just, and, it's, and it's Dame Judy Dench. It's Dame yeah. Your Highness Always Bow Judy Dench. And yeah. Sir Kenneth Branagh, by the way. So. Yeah. By the way, the, the, other, the other two films were, uh, by the way, uh, Peyton Place and uh, Last Picture Show. Those are the double So it's been a while. History. Been a long while. So the double double. That also sounds like a delicious stat. Oh, please! I have food poisoning. <laughs> oh no, Janelle. <laughs> Sorry. It, uh, I, I don't know why I keep. I'm back in theaters, so I keep eating popcorn, even though it does this to me. In the words of Judy Dench, "You're not young." Popcorn. <laughs> popcorn gave you food poisoning. Well, it might also be the copious amounts of uh, artificial butter I put on the Ooh. popcorn. But I did yeah. eat. Pop- I did eat with Janelle at Halloween. Kills. And I got sick. I got sick that night. And last she put. Uh, listen, I I am a pro butter uh, all over my popcorn, so it didn't really bother me. But I can imagine taking that in would probably shut things down. Inside. Yeah. So, so you're, last, you're hanging in there. Last night, same mistake. Clayton, I liked your continuity anger over Halloween Kills, actually, because you, you <laughs> it, it is so true. I, I, I don't think we realize it until we like I, me and Janelle talked a lot during that movie, by the way. We were terrible. we were mostly giggling. Yeah, we, yeah. Were, like, we were like, we can't believe like this. This is what happens. But it is like Tonight. an hour later. <laughs> it's an hour yeah. later in that same night. And people are like, your dad will always be with you. He just died right. like, <laughs> so much. Happens in that movie that you're like, what? Like, what it is, is this? 
I I called it Halloween overkills because mm. like I never thought that this would be a complaint about a, a Halloween film, but it is too much. Yeah. Yeah. And people just act so dumb before they die. Even like, by just, horror like, film standards. By horror film yeah. standards, yes. You're like, why mm-hmm. are you not running? Why are you standing there? You're taking it into the throat after he's grabbing the knife. He, he, like, looks for weapons, and people are just watching him walk around the room. It is preposterous. So, best picture is on the way. Get ready. Uh, the, <laughs> other, the, other mo- the other movie that's opening this weekend is The French Dispatch. New Wes Anderson. That also played at Middleburg. Little divisively, and which is natural. It's a Wes Anderson movie. It, but see, I are they usually this divisive? I always feel like they're universally embraced, but that just might be. It's, it's hard to tell. Yeah, because, it, is. it is. But I will say this is it, <laughs> this is the most Wes Andersonisms that's ever existed in a movie. He said, "I'm going to turn this up to fifty, and you're going to like it." Uh, remember when Edward Norton hosted Saturday Night Live a few years ago and they had the sketch, um, The Midnight Coterie of Sinister Intruders, yes. which is a parody of Wes Anderson films? So I remember talking to Tilda Swinton and asking her if she had seen it, and she was like, that was not funny, that was not a parody, that was just absolutely real. She's like, that was, <laughs> that was 100% a Wes Anderson movie. She's like, <laughs> she's like I'm, I'm you know, waiting for my residuals from it. That was, it was, it was flawless. So here's the thing with, with that movie and people talking about Oscar chances. It's an anthology movie, so there's three separate stories. Not a spoiler alert. That's what it is. Uh, the first story is the best. The last story has the best performance by Jeffrey Wright, but is the worst of the three. So you have to kind of power through some stuff to get there. But the first story I could have taken a whole movie with Benicio Del Toro uh-huh. and Leia Sado all goddamn day until the swing. But till the swing is just comes with like you take her wherever you can get her. Uh, but it's it, I don't think this is going to be a Grand Budapest Hotel. Oh, I love that movie. <laughs> It's not my fa- it's not my favorite Wes Anderson. I kind of hate that that's his representation in the Academy because I feel like he's had better. You know what's like, weird? W- yeah. A lot of people who tell me they don't like Wes Anderson really like Grand Budapest Hotel. I think that was his yeah. most like toned down he's been, and maybe that's why I'm like, ah, oh, I miss Fantastic Mr. Fox. Oh, and Fantastic Rushmore. Mr. Fox. Yeah, that's his best movie. Is Fantastic Mr. Fox? That's, that's a fantastic movie. I love Fantastic. That's Mr. also Fox. a great one. It's also one of George Clooney's best performances. And Gene Hackman. Oh, yeah. Uh, speaking of the parodies of, of Wes Anderson movies, uh, my favorite parody still is probably the uh, comic book guy origin story on The Simpsons. <laughs> Did you ever see that episode? Yes. And they got a guy who sounds just like Bob Balaban, but I don't think it was yeah. Bob Balaban. Yeah. It was very, yeah. very well done. But, uh, yeah, that's that's this week in, in stuff and, <laughs> and movies that are opening up. And then uh, there's just still more to come that we don't know. Don't look up. We got a teaser for being the Ricardos. Wait, without Nicole Kidman's face, uh, basically, in the, the, the teaser. So what, what, read into that. Okay, let's move on to TV because, like, what we really need to talk about is Succession. It's back, <laughs> baby. Um, so first episode, thoughts, uh, feelings. Uh, Kendall's. Talk about taking place right after, you know, it's been a while since we've seen Succession. It picks up right after Kendall's, you know, big mic drop. 
Um, and I have watched ahead. I watched episode two, and I, I think it's okay to say one of my favorite characters is coming back in episode two. So oh, I love the Jerry and Roman dynamic oh, that they yeah. are now playing up. Like the audience, you know, I, I don't know if we've talked about it on, on the podcast, but, you know, during the pandemic, that show got so much love like people were discovering it and then jay cameron smith and kieran colgan like they just became like the ship everybody needs to be on and love them so much now we get this season and that chemistry is intense and jerry a ceo also amazing love it i can't wait to see episode so my favorite couples right now seem to be uh, uh over on uh, uh ted lasso um rebecca and sam um, and now Jerry and Roman. So I'm sensing a theme. Uh, Janelle, is the favorite character that comes back, is it Buzz from Home Alone? Because he's a cop now? <laughs> no, it's someone who like we just didn't see enough of in season two, in my Got opinion. It. Got it. Okay. Michael? All right. Um, uh, Emmy Frontrunner? Is that what you're declaring right now? Well, yeah. I yeah, think that's obviously. safe to say. That's, yeah. that is, I think they'll do is. a double-double. In several categories. <laughs> <laughs> How many spots will there be? Uh... And maybe it'll finally get some love from the SAG Awards because it's been snubbed previously. Mm. Yeah, because uh, they, they kind of missed the phenomenon. They and then, totally did. And then COVID happened, and so they couldn't award it. But, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling good things now. For Is there a hanging rule with uh, the nomcom for uh, SAG, SAG committee? Like, do they get all the episodes or do they get only what's airing? That's a good question. I would I think assume they, they, if we're getting yeah, all the episodes, the, they'll get them. Yeah. 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 If the episodes are available, then I assume they, they do too on uh, the, 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 the screening platform that they have. But yeah, um, Kendall back to his, his old Coke-fueled ways. So we'll see where it goes from here. But uh, got to love Cousin Greg. Cousin Greg was a <laughs> standout in episode one. Uh, just... Like the, his nonstop bumbling down to opening that wine and just just everything that um, just so so MVP for episode one cousin Greg. I have said from the beginning that cousin Greg is going to take it all in the end. <laughs> in the last episode of Succession, we, and he is a lot more ambitious than people are giving him credit for. Remember how quickly he sold out his grandfather in, in episode one, season one. Yeah, he's yeah. going to be he's going to be the Game of Thrones surprise final episode that rules it all. He'll be Bran the Broken. He'll be Bran he's, the Broken. Or, or I was going to say, he's he's sort of Kaiser Sose, where... Mm. Mm. But if Kaiser Sose were, like, sort of bumbled his way into... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> into, into leadership. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I'm excited for... I need, to ca- I, I need to catch up. So I'm going to... I'm binging it, like, on the plane this weekend. That's what my plan is to do. I just want to give a shout out to Rami Malek who hosted Saturday Night Live and was so damn committed in every sketch. How, how, how who, who would have thunk he'd be so I funny? I suspected. He's a funny, and he also has that weird kind of almost walk-in-esque delivery that just makes everything 10 times funnier. Like the sketch with him and AD Bryant, you know, trying to buy a bed when he's like, can yes, we not, Denise? Yeah. And there are three cut sketches that are freaking fantastic. And I didn't watch than, those yet. I need to watch those. Oh, they're so yeah. good. You, you have to see Brutal Marriage Movie. You okay. have to. Yeah. Um, I, I also, also, I mean, goes without saying, Bowen Yang is stealing the hell out of this year again. So like, good. what the hell? That guy is killing yeah. it. Daddy yeah. Long Legs. 
Like, that was, like, perfect. I actually like the Oompa Loompa who got outed. That was also great, was too. Out he's, he's, he's fantastic. He's, he's so he's, good. He's dangerous on that show. He's so good. Yeah. I think, you know, he'll once again be a contender next year, and, and this time for the win, I think. You know, the, the, the Academy just needed time to sort of, like, get to know Bo and Yang. They nominated him, but I think there's a lot more to be seen in the future for him as well. So. Well, there's, like, you want to talk about double-doubles? There's, like... You know, every member of Ted Lasso is getting nominated in the supporting actor category, so he's going to have to compete with them. For, you know yeah, what I had to yeah. stop doing, by the way, SNL wise, I had to I had to stop skipping the intro when I watch it on Peacock because I don't know who the new featured players are. Like I keep like being like, who is that? And I feel like I'm not learning their names, so I need to start watching the opening credits again. Also, real side note uh, about Rami Malek, Janelle. I know we just talked about it. Doesn't he, because of his comedy, I looked at him and said, why hasn't he been in a Wes Anderson movie yet? Oh, my God. He's perfect. Like, his comedy was very on par with that. And I was like, oh, like, just go do it. Go do French Dispatch 4. Please. No, yeah. I would would love to see Rami Malek in a uh, Wes Anderson movie. I mean, don't forget, Mr. Robot was was uh, really funny in places. Remember when they did the uh, the, the fake uh, sitcom? Yeah, the sitcom yeah. opening and, and Alf showed up and, and you know, they they you know, he's he's well, sly. Wasn't, wasn't he usually kind of the straight man in those situations or am I wrong? It's been a while. Sort of, but but yeah. you know, you have to even yeah, even if beats. you're the straight guy, you have to have the yeah, the comedic beats, exactly. Yeah. And and they had that in that show as as dark as Mr. Robot could get. It was also very darkly funny. So Also yeah. him playing Pete Davidson and Pete Davidson playing him. Oh. People say we look alike. (laughs) There's some truth. There's some truth to that. So so I'm glad they addressed that. Um, Real quick before we go, shout out to Clayton Davis. Uh, The National Association of Latino Independent Producers named him best journalist of all time or something. I I don't know. (laughs) I think it was most handsome. Most handsome journalist of all time. Baldest journalist? It was one of those. Yeah, definitely baldest that's ever been awarded. It's got to be me. Uh, thanks, guys. That was fun. I like to thank the Academy for my honor. It's Fair. an honor just to be nominated. But better to win. But better is. <laughs> it's good when you win, though. It's fun. Uh, this week, we have Joan Hall siblings. Oh, yeah. Yes. Speaking of double-double, we're, we're doubling mm-hmm. down on the Joan Halls. We are really running into this double-double thing. We're going to use that all yeah. season. Uh, yeah, Maggie Gyllenhaal, writer and director of The Lost Daughter, and Jake Gyllenhaal, Actor and producer of The Guilty. Right. Which apparently is doing very well on Netflix. It's a good movie. Yeah, I really liked Sur- it. I was surprised how much I liked it. Cause I was actually ready to like admonish it. And it was really good. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. One of Antoine Fuqua's better movies in a, in a while. Does Netflix have anything other than Squid Game right now? Or is that's, that seems to be the only thing? Uh, what do they have next? I think... Uh, Oh, they have passing, I think, next on their platform, which isn't going to blow up the platform. But uh, I guess they're waiting for Don't Look Up with Leonardo DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence and Jonah Hill and everyone in their And everyone, yeah. (laughs) All right, well, let's get to the Gyllenhaals right now and uh, sign off until next week. Oh, I'm so sick. (laughs) (laughs) 
With an Oscar nomination under her belt for her performance opposite Jeff Bridges in Crazy Heart, Maggie Gyllenhaal has set off into a career of filmmaking with her outstanding debut, The Lost Daughter. Distributed by Netflix, the film premiered at the Venice and Telluride Film Festivals, where it received critical acclaim and has put her into the thick of an awards race where she could receive three nominations for producing, directing, and screenplay. What were your daughters like when they were little? I can't remember much, actually. I saw you at the beach today. I didn't see you. I saw you. The little girl lost her doll. She wouldn't stop crying. Children are a crushing responsibility. Happy birthday. Adapted from the Elena Ferranti novel of the same name, and definitely one of the more impressive filmmakers from the year that also made her movie during COVID, we start by talking with her about some of the lighter parts of the film, which includes the casting of her partner, Peter Sarsgaard, and Academy Award winner Olivia Coleman singing Bon Jovi in the middle of the movie. I actually think Bon Jovi gave me the rights, like for for a dime, because yeah. um, because I was like, Olivia Coleman is going to be singing your song. Like, I mean, what is better? That's, that's how you sell it, right? Just like, yeah, Olivia's going to sing it. Yeah. Um, and then you got Ed Harris, and I adore the man, and we'll yeah. follow him wherever he goes. Have you gotten to talk to him? No, either? and I, yeah, I, 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 I also like the right amount of time, but then not enough days to do everything you want to do. Um, but how do you feel making your movie? I mean, you directed and wrote a movie. Mm-hmm. How do you feel? Um, I feel really proud. <laughs> I really, I really think, um, of course the movie is very different in the end than I might have imagined it when I began, but it is in a good way. I mean, just, just in the way of something becoming itself, you know, how could you possibly have anticipated what it's going to be? Um, but it is, it is what I want it to be. I mean, it's, um, it's an expression of me, you know, and I, I do, I do feel, I feel really proud bringing it here and to Venice and, you know, in Venice, in fact, Olivia Coleman and Dakota Johnson hadn't seen it. Um, until we sat in that huge theater and watched it together. Were you nervous that they, of, of them watching it at all? <sighs> was I nervous? I was more just hoping that they would see and feel the degree to which I saw them. Mm. You know, and I, because I spent the past few months just looking at their faces and their, and their, Parts and minds and yeah, and you, you said you edited alone in uh, with the editor in a room. You guys were just the two of you yeah. editing the movie. Um, everyone had a hard time during the pandemic, so it was like over drunk watching. Like how hard was it, you know, during the pandemic? But for your first outing doing it during a pandemic, did that differ? How did how did you come to it that way? 
It's funny. I've thought about this. I thought, I wonder if I were a veteran director who had made many, many movies, if I would maybe find it even more difficult making a film during COVID than someone who doesn't know it any other way. <laughs> you know, like and also who's incredibly grateful. And I think that was one thing about COVID is it made all of us, um, we were really early out. I mean, we made the movie in September and October of last year. Um, there were no vaccines. We, I think we were one of the first films to get up and running again, certainly first American films. And, um, and we were all so grateful to be together. And to be able to be communicating and working and interacting. So um, in some ways, look, I don't know it any other way. Yeah. Maybe it'll be like taking a weight off a bat or something. And next time I'll be like, fuck, this yeah. is really easy. <laughs> you know? But I doubt it, you know. Um, uh, when did you know you wanted to direct, period? Not even say this movie. Did you knew you wanted to get behind the camera and do a film? You know, I think that um, in some ways I realized only just recently, actually, um, I mean, the truth is I only finished my final mix at the end of June. Okay. So it's really pretty fresh. Um, but I think actually in some ways I've always been a director. I just... I didn't really allow myself to consider that a possibility. I think um, when I was uh, coming up and growing up, there were a few women who were making movies and were making movies that were saying things about being a woman in the world. And Jane Campion is one of them who's actually like sitting right down there right now. It's amazing to me that she's, that her film and my film are at the same festival. She's- And the same roof, same studio. Like yeah. a studio is releasing multiple female directed vehicles it's true but um but i i think although there were exceptions like jane in some ways when i was young if if you were uh, a storyteller a movie lover um and you were a woman you were an actress um and it wasn't i think probably it's, you know it's like I think in some ways making the deuce and playing someone who was a director, imagining being a director, standing behind a lens, looking through a lens, thinking about how I would shoot a scene, um, was kind of loosened up this part in my heart that had always wanted to do this. And once it got loosened up, then there was no tightening it back up again. So do you, do you think it had more so with you believing you could do it than personally than like the industry allowing you to do it? Um, I think it was more uh, less me wondering if I could do it than even considering the desire to do it. Okay. And once I had the desire to do it, I didn't spend a lot of time um, uh, thinking about whether I could or couldn't. I just put one step and one foot in front of the other. I'm going to adapt this screenplay. Um, I, I hear the tone of it in my head. I am going to listen to that tone. It's coming from a, a deep unconscious place inside me. I think I can trust that place. I'm going to move one step in front of the other. And you know, that's what I mean. It, it is what I set out for it to be, even though it's so different in its final form than how I imagined it in the beginning. Yeah. Oh my God. And then you landed this cast that 
first time directors don't land, you know, for their first outing. Usually, you know, you start with a bunch of unknowns, but you have Academy Award winner Olivia Coleman, four time Oscar nominee Ed Harris. We need to do that, by the way, for the record, too, and <laughs> to just put that out there. And then, uh, you know, Dakota Johnson and Jesse Buckley. How did, how did that happen, and how grateful are you that that cast came together? Well, I think um, I think a few things. I think as an actress, um, I was writing a script uh, intentionally that would appeal to an actor. I mean, um, there are different kinds of scripts. Mine is one where I think the intention is can be very clear. The event of each scene is very clear, but there's a lot of space for how it can be expressed. What I mean is, if you know, I, this is what I need in the scene, whatever it is. Okay, do I get it by making him laugh? Do I get it by seducing him? Do I get it by, um, um, you know, uh, weeping? You know, any of them will work as long as you know what you need. So it's a script built for actors. Um, so that's one thing, you know, written by an actor. But then also... Um, Olivia, I think, had a lot to do with that. I um, I wanted Olivia, and I reached out to her, and I I had a feeling this might appeal to her. Um, but also, I knew it was. A, I mean, it's basically with all of these incredible actors, I was like, "What's the worst that happens?" I I I send a script to Ed Harris, and Ed Harris says, "No, thank you," and then I feel disappointed, and you know. But I can manage that. So I felt the same with Olivia. Once Olivia had signed on to do it with me, that was an, also an appeal, I think, to many other actors. I mean, she's such a brilliant actress, and I think other people wanted to work with her. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my God, yeah. Did you ever consider starring in it yourself? Um, there were moments where I thought I was like, I feel like Maggie could. Uh, and this does no, Olivia Coleman's brilliant in it. Yeah. Not saying you could do better or anything like that, but I was watching. And I was like, it's like Maggie would have ripped into this really well. I think that um, I'm so glad that I didn't. <laughs> I needed my whole self with my feet on the ground, my whole mind, in order to do this, and I got so much so much pleasure from watching these incredible actors working together and also from being able to offer them both love and kind of nudging them in one direction or the other. I mean, what a pleasure it was. I'm so, I'm so glad I didn't do that. It wasn't what I wanted. No, I wanted instead to offer something to someone I admired and watch what they did. Um, you know, the movie's difficult subject matter. And I'd say difficult because they're, uh, one of the things I shared with people was not every woman's made to be a mother, and that's okay. And I think we, we and that was my take, and I'm saying this as a man or not a woman. And, but I, but I feel like just like we, society puts these things in place that you're supposed to be. The movie, I think, rips those barriers down. Is that what you're I would say it's a slightly, I, I think I was, I was, um, meaning something just slightly different than that. Yes, you're right. Not every woman is meant to be a mother. I agree. Mm -hmm. But also this fantasy of what it means to be a mother is really oppressive and you can't hit it. 
Like, like, um, I mean, how about people who, who are meant to be mothers, but sometimes think, I just like to walk out the fucking door right now, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. which if we're honest, I'm going to tell you is every single mother in the world, mm-hmm. you my, know, my wife included, yeah, <laughs> and I'll, I'll so, she's and, there too. <laughs> and so, and so, um, that's sort of the thing I'm, I'm most interested in. And then, yes, you're right. There are there. And what does it mean to be a natural mother? You know, is there it's such a, line a the movie. thing? Yeah, exactly. Oh my God. Yes. And so I think, um, yes, of course, there are women who are not meant to be mothers, and that's fair enough. But what about the women who, who are meant to be mothers or who, who do want to be mothers but are, are conflicted, are full of ambivalence and confusion and rage and perversity and darkness like every other human being in the world is, you know? And then what? And it's true that Olivia, that, that Leda, um, does something really aberrant, Um but how fascinating if we can watch her do that and also relate to her, you know? That's awesome. um, let's talk about bringing Mr. Sarsgaard, the great Sarsgaard, into the fray. Was it difficult or awkward to direct him at all for, from your stake? Obviously, you may have a different answer, but like for, for you, were you just excited by that? Well, at first, I thought, even though I basically wrote the part for him, uh, or certainly with him in mind, um, I thought, oh, maybe it's not such a great idea to ask my husband to be the object of desire and do these really intimate, not just sex scenes, but love, you know, scenes with uh, this beautiful, incredibly talented, intelligent, young actress. Um, and then I, I realized I was wrong. I was like... I've been with my husband for 20 years. We've been through all sorts of things. And I know he loves me. And there is no one better for this part than him. And um, and so then in the end, and then Jessie, who I think is brilliant, a brilliant actress. Um, Jessie was like a kind of like soul sister. You know, she's like an artistic sister to me. Like I, I felt so much trust for her. And I think what the three of us did together, um, really says something about hunger and desire. And I don't know. I, I, I don't, I, it was pretty, I felt, I felt pretty excited by the work that they did. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, in relation to your acting, your past acting roles, and by, by the way, like I always say, I say this often when I, if I talk about you, I say your gift to cinema for me is Sherry baby. Like that is like the, that's Maggie Gyllenhaal to me. That's her bearing her soul. <laughs> um, and there's, I think there's inflections I see of Maggie Gyllenhaal isms in every part of the movie that I'm just like, eh, it's all Maggie would. Yeah. Like, and it's, it's, it's a good thing as, as an actor, do you think it just better prepared you for that? piece of it, of getting the actors to the place they needed to be. You mean, you mean, I don't, I, I, I want to understand more yeah. what you mean. Like in, in other people's work, you see. No, like in the film in particular, like the way like Olivia would do something. I thought like, that's why I said, like, I feel like when I was watching, I was like, Maggie could really rip into this because, because I think she was doing something that reminded me of you. There were two, there were two instances in particular with Jesse and Olivia that just felt. You. What were they? Uh, so, it was, there were two scenes. Uh, one is, by the way, their smiles, like, matching up perfectly. At, um, I think it's when she's laying in bed with P- 
Peter. So right after she gets off the phone. Yeah, and she says, Jeff, I hate talking to my I kids. I hate talking on the to phone. my kids. And there was something like I was like, oh my God, it looks a little bit like Maggie. And for Olivia, it was um when she's in the store with Dakota. Mm. And then she's like, she's not gonna uh don't buy her the doll, it's not gonna make her feel better. Like there right. those moments I was just like, it looks like Maggie. Oh. So I didn't know if like it was like a little I don't know if you saw yourself in that or maybe I'm just reading into it. You know, uh, I look at, I mean, both of those women, but, but Olivia in particular, and I'm, she was just astounded me every moment of every day, first of all, by how brilliant she was, but also how different she was than I would. I, I mean, not that I ever imagined really how I would act it, but she just was constantly surprising me. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'm surprised to hear that. But at the same time, I don't know, like I said, like the way I always approached everything as an actress was kind of directorially, except just in my own little tiny bubble. So, so of course, you read something on the page, like say in Sherry Baby, and you could have, oh, I remember something in Sherry Baby, which is very directorial. I remember thinking, this girl, this is a movie from a long time ago, I'm sure nobody listening to you ever saw it. Stop it. No. Yes. (laughs) If they're listening to me, they watch it. But like, I was like, I know directorially that this girl has got to come out of jail thinking everything is going to be fucking great. Mm-hmm. She's got to walk out like, I got my new outfit. Okay, I'm going to go get my daughter. I'm going to be a mama. I'm going to, you know, so that there's somewhere to go. Mm-hmm. You know, she can't come out like a jaded, tough, you know, that was totally clear to me. Mm-hmm. That's directorial, yeah. you know, and that that kind of thing uh, is what used to just get me going in my acting work, you know? So, I mean, yeah, like, I don't know. There's so many examples we could, we could come up with, but, um, but so that same line of thinking, that same interest that is now, of course, going to be in this film, you know, except that, um, it's going to then be so multiplied by this incredible work that these other actors are doing, you know, I mean, just really blowing my mind, every single one of them, because I also wanted actors that work like the way I'm describing that have their own artistic directorial point of view about their own work that aren't coming in and saying like, where should I stand and how should I do it? But who, I mean, I remember Jesse was the one who said, oh, I have a little idea. She said, what if I'm, I'm holding a melting ice cream cone when I lose Bianca? You know, so we don't, we don't talk about it. Just that in this little scene where all she's doing is calling her daughter's name, she's holding a melting ice cream cone, which is totally an intelligent actress. That tells you an entire story. Yeah. They went to get an ice cream. She doesn't even remember she's holding it in her hand. It's dripping down her hand. I mean, that's an incredible offering. Oh, that's awesome. Like, yes, I, I remember I can see the scene too. It was one, it's those details that really stick out. In yeah. the, oh. But that's Jesse. Yeah. Uh, and Paul Mescal, by the way, we just need to uh, take him down a notch. I think he's just <laughs> a little too perfect right now. And just like, he's such a sweet, oh, I hate it so much. I hate that he's so good and good looking and, but yeah. uh, and, and a good, and a good person. The loveliest, kindest. Yeah. We're, we're going to, we're going to take him down. Like, we, we'll work on that. <laughs> um, looking now to the future of, and I feel the future is, is woman, woman, Women are, I'm not saying you have arrived, you've always been here, but especially in cinema, like I'm feeling it, it's, it's yeah. pulsating, it's great. When, I know, I'm a big advocate for diversity and representation. 
However, that seems to be misinterpreted that when I'm talking about it, I'm only talking about race mm-hmm. and it's not. I'm talking about different stories, different people, women, everyone trying to get uh, a piece of the pie. And that's very encouraging, especially now looking, you know, at someone like Scarlett Johansson taking on Disney yeah. for something like that. And you've been a very uh, outspoken uh, person about like equality on all fronts. Do you see the future bright in that in that space? Do you think we're closer or do you think we're further? Because sometimes it feels like we're making really good strides and sometimes I feel like it's like one step forward, four steps back. Mm. I, I guess it just depends on the day. I feel like people are making a, a, a real effort to open a space for women to express themselves. I know that not everyone agrees with me on this, uh, what I'm about to say, and I know that there are some really interesting women who disagree with me on this, but I think that there is such a thing as women's filmmaking. I think there is such a thing as women's writing. I think it's different than uh, films made by men. That doesn't mean men can't make fascinating movies about women. Mm -hmm. They certainly can, and they have for many years. But I think that when there's space for women to express themselves, when when we're actually given a little bit of money and the space to do it, that the things that come out of us are going to be really different and compelling. Um, and so I think we're going to see, because that's, there's been a real effort made to do that, um, I felt so supported by the people who financed my film. They gave me space. We didn't have a lot of money, but we had enough to do what we needed to do. And... Um, I think we're going to start to see really compelling work coming from women and that's going to create the appetite for more. Um, so yeah, I guess I do think things are looking up. Um, what is next for Maggie Gyllenhaal behind the camera? And then it was about in front of the camera. Obviously, but I want to know, I, I don't want to wait very long for your next movie. So I just need to know <laughs> this is not a long wait. Um, I have, well, I mean, What's it now? The very beginning of September. I just finished my film at the end of June. So, but at the same time, I have an idea um, of something else that I think I might want to adapt. I liked the process of adapting from another piece of writing. Um, So I have an idea. I'm kind of moving in that direction. Um, and to be honest with you, and, and, and I, I'm also writing something else, but with, with acting, it's so interesting. I miss acting. I love acting. I want to act, but having done this, I don't want to compromise at all, you know? So I've read some things and I think like, well, that's not actually exactly what I want to do. I think Mm -hmm. I want, you know? Um, yeah. So I guess, I will act again, you know, but right now it's just not where my energy is, I guess. Would you ever direct your brother? Yeah, I'd love to direct my brother. Yeah, I think he's such a wonderful actor. What would you make him? uh, Do you have like a a type of character in mind that you would want to? No, I don't. But but I wouldn't do it unless I had a really good idea. All right, so you know? you're, you're build up to, yeah, to okay. Yeah. We'll build up to Jake one day. Um, obviously, I'm always a big fan of people who love film. What's been your favorite film here? Have you seen any movies here? But well, um, so I was on the jury at Cannes. 
So I saw 24 films in what, 10, 11 days. Um, and then uh, after, you know, not having seen any new movies in such a long time, then I saw, um, I saw Almodovar's film in Venice and I saw Jane Campion's film in Venice. And then I saw Spencer last night here, Pablo Larraín's film. So I'm, I'm pretty, uh, you know, I'm, I've, I've seen kind out. of a lot. Yeah. There are a lot of other things I want to see. I mean, I would never say what my favorite is. Mm-hmm. There's been so many incredible things, really inspiring things. Um, I, I, I will say in general, by the films I've been seeing here and also having seen all those films at Cannes, I feel like the thing that hit me most is if you're being true, honest to something, and it doesn't have to be something conventional, like if you're being true and honest to someone's unconscious mind, you can do whatever you want. I mean, it can, I felt like there were some films I saw where I was like, wow, like Oh, I didn't realize I can do whatever I want. You know, if I'm, if my intention is telling something truthfully. Um, so I, I have felt that in places all over many of the films I've seen in the past little while. I mean, I've been seeing like the most exciting films that are about to come out. It's been incredible having just finished my first film to then spend all of this time at these film festivals, watching movies made by masters. I mean, it's like, What could be better than that? It's almost like tailor-made. That's Maggie Gyllenhaal, writer and director of The Lost Daughter, which opens in theaters on December 17th. After the break, the younger Gyllenhaal sibling takes the stage to talk about his film, The Guilty, and reflecting on his time with Heath Ledger. From Los Angeles, this is Variety's Award Circuit Podcast. Stay close. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And we're back. It's the Variety Award Circuit Podcast. I'm Clayton Davis. It's almost criminal that despite a career that has included masterful performances in films like Nightcrawler, Prisoners, and Nocturnal Animals, Jake Gyllenhaal still has only managed to nab himself one sole Oscar nomination for his performance as Jack Twist in Ang Lee's 2005 film Brokeback Mountain, opposite the late Heath Ledger. Already streaming on Netflix, Antoine Fuqua remake of the Danish film of the same name premiered at this year's Toronto International Film Festival, where it received positive reviews and Jake Gyllenhaal was praised for his performance as a cop who gets an unexpected 911 call. We began by speaking with Gyllenhaal about how he got involved with the project and became interested in bringing it to American audiences. I saw the original film at Sundance in 2018. Actually, I had um, a wonderful executive named Andy Martyr who worked for us at my company, Nine Stories. She was at Sundance and she saw the film and she said immediately, you got to see this. So I actually had a link to it 
I got a link to it and I watched it in the office immediately. Couldn't stop watching it. And something in me thought, this is something I want to remake. Mm. I honestly have no clear idea as to why at the moment. It's one of those instinctual things. I just felt it in my bones. I yeah. just felt like something about it made sense when I transposed it into my mind, like walking into uh, someone's home and being like, or, oh, I can see how this could be, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so I just immediately started trying to get the rights for the movie. And obviously it was very, very popular out of Sundance. And, yeah. um, but I, I met with Gustav Muller and we ended up developing, started to develop another movie together. And okay. we we're developing a movie called Snowblind over at Apple. Um, that's another story, but uh, I got a twofer here because he gave me the rights to the, to the movie. And then we just started to develop it and we developed for about two years. Um, and I could tell you again, specific into specifics, but when the pandemic hit, we were looking for projects, you know, that were contained and that, yeah. you know, were safe and possibly we could film in a short period of time. And I always had a vision of shooting this movie and at first 48 hours. Yeah. Okay. And then it turned into 11 days, but oh. yeah. so, so 11 day shoot. Did you, does, does the final product match up to what you had envisioned if it wasn't a pandemic? Cause it's very tight and it, it it's small, obviously. Um, but the, did that match up to you? Are you, I don't want to say glad, but are, are you satisfied now with the final result? I am. I'm so proud of the film. I'm so proud of what we all accomplished in particularly in 11 days of shooting, obviously post-production took a lot longer than that, but yeah. I mean, I just love working with Antoine and I, I am very proud of it. I mean, just to think of saying two years ago, maybe more now, three years ago saying, Hey, let's, let's make this movie. Yeah. Um, and then having it made, it was, I feel, I feel pride. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll admit we, it was, it took a lot of hard work from a lot of people, but it was really um, inspiring to be kind of the engine behind it. Cool. Uh, let's talk a little bit about this cast because I gotta I gotta give you some grief right now. I don't appreciate your attitude towards Adrian Martinez in the movie <laughs> and yelling at him because he's one of the nicest guys in the. He biz. really is legitimately <laughs> one of the sweetest Sweet. guys. And you scream at him because he just <laughs> asked you what was going on. I mean, well, it's not a screaming, but I'm definitely a dick. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which he agrees with. He said, yeah. "Yeah, exactly." Uh, but then you get some. You have voice actors, quote unquote voice actors, Ethan Hawke, Riley Keough, Eli Gore, Divine Joy, uh, Randolph, and Paul Dano, who you worked with on Prisoners. Bill Burr. By the way, my favorite performance of yours is Prisoners. Because oh, as the awards editor, I just should tell you that's, that's the role you should have won the Oscar for. But that's just me. <laughs> and then uh, Peter Sarsgaard also. So how did this all come together? Did you hear them when you were on set? Like, did you already have their voices? No, it wasn't pre-recorded. Okay. It was all live. Uh, the intention was always to hopefully get the actors in like another room and have them all be able to work, but the pandemic didn't make that possible. But what was advantageous about that was that we could figure out a way of telling people they could stay at home mm -hmm. and that we could send them recording devices. They recorded themselves like professionally with these devices. We sent them in boxes and then they'd call into a Zoom and then they would be queued by a first AD. And they would speak to Antoine. Antoine could direct them okay. over Zoom. And then they would all directly go into my ear. So um, how do we get them? Um, we said to them, we're going to shoot this movie in 11 days. <laughs> yep. uh, we're splitting it into five acts, 20 pages each act. And each character would probably only need to work two, three days. And we just called friends. 
Antoine called Ethan. He was hesitant at first, and I was like, just call him, you know? <laughs> he, he wasn't used to, like, not fully only going through, like, all the normal channels. Yeah. And I, I think my spirit is more of, like, from independent film. And I was like, just call someone up yeah. and ask them to do a favor. And Ethan just immediately responded and said, absolutely. I, like, I love that artistic spirit. I'll do it. And that was a huge thing. And then I did the same thing with Paul. I said, hey, yo, dude. Um, I was in your movie with Come to a Peace of Mind. And uh, I said to my brother-in-law, you're my brother-in-law, you have no yeah. choice. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, so it sort of worked like that. And we just we got really lucky with everyone else, just like an incredible cast and particularly with Riley, who when you know of her emotional journey the past couple of yeah. years, you know the things she's gone through personally to take on the subject matter of this I know she may say it was cathartic, but I, I I consider it deeply brave to go back into ideas and feelings that I know are really painful for her. So yeah. that was just, we just really lucked out with Riley. That's awesome, man. That's good. That's good we had man. also previously worked with her on Devil All the Time movie that we had oh, produced, yeah. but yeah. Um, yeah. Well, let, let's get a little bit into your uh, producing track, you know, because uh, yeah, it start, starts off with the end of Watch. Um, which I love also, by the way. That was an uh, earned producing credit. <laughs> that was that was actually earned. That was given to me after shooting, oh. which was actually really after filming. They were like, "We we shall don you executive producer credit." <laughs> Here you go. Yeah. And then uh, obviously, then came Nightcrawler, uh, Stronger, Wildlife, uh, Devil of Time, Relic, uh, Joe Bell, and then now the Guilty. Are you? Do you find a lot of? I don't say not gratitude, but do you find a lot of fulfillment in the producing role uh, versus acting, or is it just kind of all facets of art? I I do want to add. It's, I'm not one to to brag, but we also produced theater, and we produced mm. this slave play, and we also produced Seawall Life show that I was in, and Sunday in the Park with George, another show. Like the theater is also part of. I think where I really started to find. That's where my heart really is in a lot of ways, but it's also a place where I really started to understand producing because it's a much, not smaller scale, but it, it's it's a different kind of world where you can really, you have all the same ideas under a microscope. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, I do. I feel, <laughs> I mean, it's like, you. it's just the beginning of hopefully being able to understand the sort of scope of what my career so far, which I'm so grateful for, has given me the opportunity to do. Yeah. And the whole idea of starting the company was to help other people tell their stories. Yeah. And um, it's just the beginning and I'm thr- I'm thrilled. And yeah, I mean, it's like, it's quite an ambitious slate for such a small company. Yeah. I mean, we really do work our asses off and I have to give credit to my partner, Reva Marker, who just has for the past six years just killed it. You know, we're just both really driven. We work really hard and we have a a group of really wonderful, very smart people who are doing the jobs of three people in one, each, each and every one of them. So it's pretty cool. Awesome. Um, I, I do want a little bit, I do want to do a little bit of a reflection on your career because this, you turned 40 years old this year, right? <laughs> you know, nothing 20, to be 25, yeah. nothing, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like two seconds behind you, man. It's, it's, it's coming fast. Uh, this, you know, starting in city slickers, uh, do you recall like your first movie? Do you remember that first time walking on a, on a set? Can you recall that? Can you uh, reflect on that? Absolutely. I can. Um, besides Billy Crystal just being like, you know, <laughs> yes, he, I mean, he, yeah. it was really, it was, I mean, I remember the audition process actually. Mm-hmm. I remember being flown out to New Montana, mm-hmm. um, and staying in a hotel with my dad 
um, and meeting Ron Underwood, who directed the film, not really understanding the process at all, just sort of being like, well, they wanted to meet me and uh, okay, cool. We're in a cool hotel and I'm with my dad and, you know, everything's flat. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, And then I remember the first day of, of shooting, we shot at John Burroughs High School over near Hancock Park, Koreatown, where I actually played Little League. Um, and so, yeah, we shot in a classroom there. And I remember just being in awe of all the trailers and walking to the makeup trailer, everybody being so sweet to me. And then something that I don't think exists as much anymore in filmmaking, which is that walk up to the set and the usage of these huge lights, you know? Mm. At the time, very few movies do that anymore. I mean, you know, this... I remember the the wade the wading between setups because things were sort of bulkier and they moved at a different speed and mm. there was sort of a more more precision at that time. I just remember those hot hot lights, mm. um, and that there was really a need for being touched up. That there was a need for being touched up because <laughs> you were sweating yeah. <laughs> under the lights. You know, yeah. now it's just like all pure vanity. Before it was just like you know, like. Just that was my phone, I should say. That was my yeah. rude. It's not rude. rude. It's not rude. Listen, you're a busy. You're a busy guy. You have a you have a company. You just said there might be them. Saying and I've that... gotten one text message. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're slammed this whole time. <laughs> um, going through some of your uh, memorable uh, roles: Donnie Darko, Good Girl, uh, getting upwards to Brokeback Mountain, uh, 2005. You received your first Oscar nomination. Uh, opposite the late great Heath Ledger and uh, and Michelle Williams, can you recall that time of being like on the award circuit and like just that whole run that year? Also, you won a BAFTA that year. And I'll mm. never forget your BAFTA win. <laughs> I, was, it, it was, I was pretty it was surprised. Yeah, <laughs> it was really yeah, funny. I, I can always tell when people are like genuinely surprised, and they're like, "Oh, I was surprised. I didn't think I was going to win." You really didn't know you were going to win <laughs> oh, at no, all. No, no, I had. Yeah. I mean, I was like. I remember though there was like this sort of like why is George Clooney nominated in two <laughs> two two categories yeah. and then I was like oh, wait a second you know oh that's why oh, you yeah. know like that but uh, yeah I remember that I remember I was at the time I was shooting Zodiac with David Fincher oh um, and I'd come off a real pretty amazing run with just pretty extraordinary directors one after the next um, I remember just being really overwhelmed like with shooting a movie and trying to fit in the events and interviews and things, not understanding and getting calls and people saying, now you're going to see Oprah. And I was like, but I'm, oh my God. And getting off of David Fincher set, which is incredible. And then getting on a plane at night, taking a red eye to Chicago to do an interview with Oprah and then getting back on and going to the David Fincher set. Living the celebrity life. I know. It was really like, that was, I was actually jet setting. Now I just pretend to, you know? (laughs) Um, But I, I remember there being this, I remember the first time I saw the film in a small screening room in New York and there were probably six or seven people in the screening room and um, the response to it sort of baffled me, right? I mean, the experience of the movie was one thing and I think that's the thing always as an actor I will always say the experience of the movie is nowhere near the same as the response to the movie. Hmm. So if you misinterpret or you somehow get them mixed up, I think it really mess you up. And 
I just remember being really sort of like, I couldn't imagine, I couldn't believe all the feelings that were coming out of everybody. Right. Yeah. And then it just started to sort of snowball, like then screening after screening you would go to and it, the same response. And then I remember going to Venice mm-hmm. where it first premiered. Um, and I remember not having to answer any questions with journalists. Oh. I just remember them talking to me about how they felt about it. I literally remember just being like, oh, well, this is not that hard. Yeah. Just, they were just talking to me and expressing how much their feelings and what yeah. it made them feel. And I just thought, oh, my God, what is this how it always goes? I've yeah. later learned that it is. Yeah, not. Um, but I, it, it, it was just there. It was event after event and moment after moment that was unforgettable, you know, to the – I remember one evening at the Arrow Theater, we had screened it, and we sort of were aware that there was sort of, we were sort of there was sort of wind at our backs, you know. We were sort of felt that, and we were like, yeah. but we didn't really understand it. We were all so young, and um, and the screening ended. We 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 announced the movie, then we went for dinner, and then we came back at the end of the movie. I remember Heath and I joking around, just like playing around, you know. I am. Yeah, you're busy. I am busy. You're My busy. phone is ringing now. Uh-huh. It's on silent. Um, <laughs> And I, I remember joking and playing around and kind of remember laughing right before we went on to Q&A. And then we sat down. We were both still sort of laughing in the dark. So we joked around a lot. And mm-hmm. like, and all of a sudden, someone stood up and said, with weeping, with tears in their eyes, and said, and the movie had been out for, I don't know, two weeks? This is the 20th time I've seen this movie. And I just want to say thank you for making this movie. And it went, and it was like, we just went from playing around like basically yeah. to like two, adolescent kids, yeah, you know, basically dudes, dudes <laughs> like to just being bowled over by how profound the feelings were coming out from the audience, like towards us. And then it was about navigating that and understanding it. Also understanding, I think the, the vitriol, understanding the humor that people use to sort of avoid the sentiment in mm-hmm. the film happened all over the place. I remember very specifically a moment where, you know, there was, I think John Stewart was hosting. I think John wanted to do a joke with him, Heath and me, and Heath was refused. He never wanted to joke about it. Mm. It was just never anything he, he found funny. Yeah. It was always a story that meant so much to him and affected so many people he loved, particularly people he loved who were gay. And, uh, he just found like there was just, he didn't want to joke about it ever, you know, um, that I, that is something I won't ever forget. You know, yeah. they were asking us to do like a cold opening with, with John Stewart. I think I, and he was just like, we're not doing it. He's like, no, no jokes. It's amazing. Yeah. And that's 16 years ago. Does it feel like it was just yesterday? Do, do no, it does. It feels no. long. It feels like 16 years ago. <laughs> Last year feels like 16 years ago. Sorry to, sorry to burst your bubble. Yeah, I um, no, I mean, there's just been so much that it has brought me and so many experiences. It's just been packed, you know, 16 yeah. years of just packed with work and experiences and relationships and there are moments that feel like that. But that was a moment uh, in my mind at an age. I look at younger actors and they're all kind of doing their thing and getting a lot of attention. And um, and I just wonder sometimes, like, do they can they process what this is? Why mm-hmm. did they get into it? Did they get into it for this? Um, for all that energy and attention, yeah, you know? That's awesome. All right. Um then I just have to touch on Stronger, Wildlife, uh, Spider-Man, Far From Home, as mm-hmm. Mysterio. Um, 
we I, the public kind of knows, but I just feel like I have to ask anyway because they'll get mad at me if I don't. What uh, do you know anything of the new Spider-Man? Do you know if like you were at, were you ever asked to be in it? Because there's all these villains coming from different worlds. <laughs> I have to do the Lord's work here, Jake, and they're gonna get mad at me if I don't ask it. How do you know there are all these villains coming from all these well, other worlds? I mean, that's. Rumors and what we saw. So you're 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 presuming. Well, we did see Doc Ock okay, in the trailer. So there was so we, a we, villain. We was there's a villain in that trailer. Yes. And I don't know. I don't know. I I literally know nothing. You know nothing. I literally don't. I no. I am uh uh I have been I have been shunned back to fandom. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm with you. Got it. Yeah. All right. So you so, can't look me in the eyes when I say I, that, I can't, can you? I, or are you, you know, just looking over your questions? I, I'm just because. <laughs> are you trying to hear hear something? I, I can I can hear the blink twice if you're lying right now, and, I, and then I can hear that, and then we'll just see what happens there. No, no, I I, I get it. It's uh it's very uh it's a very interesting thing the way the Marvel machine works and oh, how yeah, some yeah. people get put into it. Do you, did you? What uh, I find though, yeah. for most Marvel fans, most of them. Most of them don't really want to know, you know, like I, what I was, when, 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 when we did Far From Home, I mean, it was like it, my friends who are big fans of Marvel, mm -hmm. a number of them were like, I know, you know, do not tell me. I don't, I don't want to know. And I was like, oh, but I could, no, 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 I don't want to know. <laughs> you know, so yeah. I, I think even when I was doing, I remember filming a speech, like this big speech. Um, I remember crew members like, closing their ears they didn't want to hear what i was saying because yeah. they didn't want to know what happened they didn't okay. want to see it so you know you know all right so we may or may not see you that's okay all right but yeah we're gonna see you in the guilty for sure we know that right you're in you're in yes yeah, i'm definitely in the you're guilty. in that you're in that movie and i've seen it um one of my colleagues here uh gave me like two questions to ask you and i thought they were really interesting i just had to ask yeah. you um your favorite sean paul song oh um Uh, like every one of oh, every one of them, particularly <laughs> where he's featured. Yeah, it's just like every. Single I will say one. my. I will say his like, where he's featured on a Sia song. That song is like a a guarantee, uh, injection of joy mm. in me. Like I am just if I need it, I'll use it at my lowest. Mm. It's like a emergency. If and when you ever direct a movie, I feel like that's just coming. Would I ever w use that w song? Will there be right? Sean Paul music in your film? Will Sean Paul be in it? Yeah, or Sean like? Paul be in it? Um, it depends on the movie. Uh, it depends on actually. Because <laughs> <laughs> you imagine just... if I did something like in the Renaissance or something, and it was like <laughs> just, just playing on the accordion or whatever it is. The what not the accordion? Oh my god! Uh, yeah, like on the lyre. Uh, yeah. It, um, I can't answer that. Yeah. And another question I can't answer, uh, unfortunately. We're, we're, we'll shove them in a movie. It's fine. Yeah, okay. um, she also wants to know if you hate it when people mispronounce words. It was, uh, it was, it's weird. I, yeah, it was very, I, I was so, I thought this was tied to something that I wasn't aware of. Oh, that's really interesting. <laughs> it is tied to something that yeah. neither, neither of us are aware of. Do I hate it when people mispronounce words? I'm trying to think. Because you must have beat true. someone up in the street that said something wrong to you. I mean, that's definitely never happened. <laughs> yeah. But I, but, well, the I'm trying to think if I've if I've ever if like someone mispronounced a word. No, no, uh, no. I have no. no. 
I find it. Oh, maybe I know why. Because maybe oh, this is all I'm having. <laughs> maybe because Dan Gilroy, when I was at Sundance, said pr- mispronounce. What word was it that he mispronounced? But he did it as a joke. Mm. It was so good. You called him out on it. I called him out on it. But he had that. He, what did he do? Like huh. he mis he misemphasized the word. He oh, said huh. like. Something. Yeah. Anyway, no, I don't have a problem with it at all. But I did feel like from a wordsmith, I needed to correct him. He was. (laughs) He's a true wordsmith. Yeah, I I do have. uh, I have a personal pet peeve with when people say "conversate" because it's not a word, and it really bothers me. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, there's some things. Stop saying that to me. What does somebody say? Like when they double emphasize something, they'll say they'll say something like um, insurance. I also don't like that. You don't like that? Insurance. Yeah, when they're like, because it feels like two separate words. Sometimes my mom says the word strawberries in a way that's like, oh, I'm getting a play. What's the, um, melancholy. Melancholy. Melancholy is what he said. <laughs> is what he, said? he said melancholy. But as like that, a, that's a good call yeah, out though, yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> um, she has a sort of sense of melancholy. And I was like, it's melancholy, dude. Um, but. It's uh, amazing. Yeah. Um. Just a, oh, my mom pronounces oh, strawberries. Yeah. Stra- yeah, yeah, wait, stra- Let's just say like strawberries. I'm like, why are you saying it like that? Like some weird, spend a lot of time in the UK. So occasionally this weird, you know, accent comes out. And that's mm. something I. So our own Jazz Sanke, who's one of my co-hosts on the show, who's from England. So this is very British coming now. Perfect uh, Yeah, exactly. Can you ask him if he's still an Anglophile and ask him about scones, cream or jam, and how and how do you like your tea? Cream or jam? Cream or jam. So uh I like my tea I like my like breakfast tea with milk. <laughs> <laughs> and I use scones, cream and jam. Ooh. Look at this guy. Yeah. Do you have a fa- a favorite British phrase? Um smashed it. It's good. What does that mean? It's like you did it, did it, you killed it. Oh, okay. oh. yeah. Listen. I think people say that here. Yeah, yeah. would I? I love you know what something actually does something yeah. bother me when when like an American person says, "Oh, like hey mate," because they know they're talking to someone who's mm-hmm. British. It's like when someone's British is like, "Hey dude," you know? Oh, <laughs> really? Yeah. Right? yeah. Like, have you ever seen that happen? So yeah. goes like, "Oh, hey mate." I, 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 like, I think no. I do. I think I do that to my British friends now. That do I'm thinking you? About it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you can't no, do that. I can't you ever can't do, do it again no, now. No. Oh, it's it's terrible. Just hold to your own. You know, yeah. your own country. Like hold to dude or bro or bra or you know yeah i do have a british friend that will always say to me because i'm like i'm not from anywhere south but she'll say y'all come back now here and i'm like i'm not from the south she's british she she says that to me all the time in a a southern accent i'm like i'm not from the south so (laughs) it doesn't work um my final question for you is that i was hanging out with uh, a relative of yours recently Mm -hmm. uh, a sister Mm -hmm. uh named maggie gyllenhaal Mm -hmm. who directed this fabulous little film called the lost daughter mm-hmm. she is actually featured on the same episode that you are on right oh, now wow. yeah so we are going to have a joan hall joan hall battle here i just stood up straight yeah um with when it comes to maggie she seems like such a natural behind the camera and naturally she's getting a lot of questions about will you ever direct your brother i asked her the same question and she responded with I need to make sure it is the perfect project before I bring it to him. Like she was very like, it has to be like, she's going to raise the game. Um, if she were to direct you, is there a genre that you would want to work with her on or any type of film? And would you, or do you even want to be directed by her? 
I mean, might be planning this for you, and then you have no desire to. No, it's hang so, out with it's her. so interesting. I think I would obviously love that, um, but I think that the two of us have are sort of headed in a in a direction outside of just the acting space. It's provided us so many things, but I think storytelling is where we originated where we come from family of people who always were talking about story you know so my desire is to you know make make my own films but i don't and i'm also not an actor or even an artist that has a has like a role in mind or a genre in mind Hmm. to me i think she and i have always been taught and what we both share we are both very different in a lot of ways yeah but what we really share is a deep desire to get at the truth. So if I feel the truth in something, it doesn't yeah. matter the genre, it doesn't matter the character, I'm I'm going to move towards it. So mm-hmm. I, that's what she does. That's what she's done in this movie. Mm-hmm. She's, I, I know you referred to it a little as a little movie, and it is, I guess, in sort of budget. But I think the ideas that she's grappling with in it, gra- grappling with in it, are... I would argue larger than and more brave than most of the movies I've seen yep. come out that are have considerably higher budgets. Mm. So um, I consider it a, a big film because it's talking about a deep truth yeah. that's really scary and really brave of her to have uh, taken on. So I'm just here as her brother. I was he- there as her brother through the process. I think I hope I was additive and helped her with her film yeah you know and she was so open and so loving and so vulnerable so scared uh and i hope as her brother i recognized and saw that and was helpful and protective and um helped her be her best self that was basically the job and i'll do that again whether it's acting in her movie or mm. just noting her movie or it's you know um yeah it, it, it doesn't really matter to me yeah you know i mean i, I it does i'd be honored if she yeah. wanted it but it doesn't really matter to but me. genre doesn't matter yeah. no, no i think um I, I, it's a really interesting question i i, I don't know if I just imagine us, I imagine her and what she would ask of me. Mm. And I'm sure what she would ask of me would be to challenge me and the things she knows about me very deeply. Mm. And um, so I'd just be really interested in it. I mean. What she would come out with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So what maybe, maybe you are dreading this moment then. <laughs> I know, right? No, I think we're both, we've come to a period of time in our life and maybe this is a a sort of circular piece of this interview, but like when I've hit 40 and she passed 40 a little bit before me, I think we just, um, I think we just come to a place where life is like, and I think also as we've been all been through this, you know, Mm -hmm. life is the most important thing. And my relationship with her is the most important thing. And I just want to be your brother and, Basically, that means her little brother, which is basically going to uh, do her bidding. Yeah, 
true. Um, <laughs> like no matter yeah. what, no matter what context, I'm always like, she's yeah. like, do this. I'm like, yes, sir. Where do you want me to go? <laughs> yeah. So I, I have to ask I you because I, I told her, cause, like I said before, I feel like you should have an Oscar for prisoners. I think Maggie should have an Oscar, but I don't want to tell you what it is yet. What's your favorite Maggie role? Let's see if we have the Maggie matchup. Um, favorite. I mean, I think she has been awarded for certain roles that I think she's incredible in. The Honorable Woman, I think she's extraordinary in. I think in The Deuce, she's extraordinary. Those obviously are not movies, Mm -hmm. but I mean, those performances are just... They're so fucking smart. Mm -hmm. Sorry, am I allowed to swear? No, you can curse all you want. Yeah, especially when you talk about your sister. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're so smart. Um, Uh... I don't know. Uh, I, when I think about it, it's, I mean, all of them. Yeah. I don't think there's really many actresses who are doing her kind of work. That's Jake Gyllenhaal, star of The Guilty, now streaming on Netflix. And that's it for this edition of the Variety Award Circuit Podcast. Drew Griffith edited this episode and Michael Schneider is a producer. Be sure to subscribe to the Award Circuit Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you download podcasts. Also, head to Variety.com and click on the Award Circuit tab to find out the latest Oscar predictions and key races, as well as your daily fix of news, analysis, and reviews. For Jazz Tanke, Janelle Riley, and Michael Schneider, I'm Clayton Davis. We'll see you on the circuit. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.